Actually, quite a quick Bible study. We're going to conclude um, the kind of section which deals with healings. You know, I called it the uh, what was it? The, the, um, the after the sermon care ministry because we saw Jesus' sermon and we listened and we examined it, and then afterwards, this is him coming down. Now, a lot of this is actually going to be kind of leading on to several days after even the sermon. So, uh, but still, I think the, the, the writer of Matthew is very. Um, Gosh, very logical, very thorough. I love this book. And the more and more I stay, the more and more I find how he's so specific in how he lays things out. It's not just chronological, even though it is, but it's thematic. A lot of things he does, there's a lot of contrast, which, of course, it's believed that he wrote to the Jewish mind. The Jewish mind loves contrast, like the Hebrew poetry, a lot of it, like the Psalms and the Proverbs, are the contract. You know, the good is this, and the evil is this. And we're going to see a lot of that contrast as we go through the book of, of Matthew, which is really quite interesting because it, it makes the point even stronger when we get to the actual topics at hand and, and the points trying to be made by Matthew as he's examining Christ and his life. Um, but, again, speaking in a way of contrast, we did actually end, as we see here in the review, he finished his sermon, walks down the mountainside, and he heals a leper. So we see healing, you know, care. We're right after the ministry. He preaches, he teaches, then he lives. And he even said that in his sermon, watch what I do. We talk about the tree, you know, doing, you know, producing good fruit as opposed to bad fruit. Just watch what I do. So he's done, and, and right away he's there healing. He's right there, he's there healing, touching people, ministering to people. Um, and then we also, this, this presented us a, 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 a question that came out right off the bat. But what happens when Jesus doesn't heal, when, when healings doesn't occur? We pray and we ask God for healing and, and he decides to delay the healing. And so we dealt with that and we looked at the, the man who was um, um, lame at the beautiful gate. And for whatever reason, Jesus you know, passed him by for, for a good many years. Uh, but it's all right because in time, Peter and John came to heal him. And when that happened, there was a great revival, if you will. There were thousands upon thousands of people who came to faith at that moment. So Jesus, being the Lord of lords and the King of kings, did he see this? Did he understand the significance of the delay, of the, of the wait, the pause? You know, why chose to heal him later? Did he see this? I believe he did see this. I believe he did understand this because I believe Jesus walked in the will of God. Always. And that's what he's teaching us. We should be like Jesus in that we try to walk in the will of God as much as possible. And of course, you know, not only were people saved and, and healed, and, but the religious leaders were confronted at this point as well. Next slide. So then last week we talked about the centurion's great faith, which is in line with our text in Matthew, and, and the, the, the oh, faithless generation. You know, that was a bit of a contrast and I thought this was an interesting contrast because, again, one of the big elements we find in healing when we talked about the various you know, parameters of why Jesus might he a delay a healing, one of the big ones is faith. And there were many. We talked about, what, a good six or seven. But faith was, was a big factor of it. So we, we need to look at faith. And so it's interesting how here in our text we see right away a man with great faith, the centurion. And he approaches Jesus, and we learned 
or at least I learned, that when we approach Jesus, we don't shout at Jesus demanding healings, but we approach him like the centurion with great humility and respect. And that's what he was. That's why I like the picture of him there, you know, bowing down, you know. Um, and, uh, and, of course, he claimed that Jesus could say the word. And this is interesting. Jesus, who we also called the word. The word. We talked about the word a long time ago. Remember several weeks back about the power of the word, how through the word God created the heavens and the earth. Through the word. And uh, the power of God and the word. It's a spiritual thing. But yet it's not just kept in the spiritual realm. It influences the physical realm as well. As we see here, through the word, Jesus spoke. Spiritual things happened, like a domino effect, and physical healing occurred. So just say the word. And this man understood this principle. And my servant will be healed. And Jesus did. He said, go, let it be done. He says, you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. And then we also visited a comparative story, something to compare this with. So we see the man with great faith and healing happened. But then we saw a fellow who struggles with faith. Okay? Um, and this is found in Mark 9, 17 to 24. His son had these seizures, and he was mute since he was a young child, maybe at birth. Okay? And the man says, I believe. And also earlier, just to say, you know, he did, Jesus did call out to the disciples and possibly to this man and other folks standing around, you know, you faithless generation, or oh, faithless generation. You know, so, you know, that is a problem. That's, that's an issue. It's a concern. But Jesus, what did he do, though? The man, he's there, and he's like, he seems to be humble. He looks like he's a bit down. He looks like he's rebuked. And he's like, hey, I believe. I trust in you, Jesus. But I have this skepticism. I've got this element of doubt. It's been a long time I've been suffering with my son. A long time. And he still can't talk. And he still is getting these seizures. And he's almost dying all the time. So I'm struggling with that reality. So I believe in you, but it's hard. <laughs> I also don't believe. Because why am I waiting this out for so long? Why are we deal with this for so long? If you are the master of the molecule as it is, then do something here, please. So, we, But why are you not? I don't know. So he has this, this element of unbelief. But what did Jesus do? Did Jesus walk away and say, because of your lack of faith, I'm not going to heal? Did he do that? Well, let's find out. It goes on in the story in Mark 9, verse 25. And when Jesus saw the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, He is dead. So those who are standing around watching this, oh man, this boy's no better off. <laughs> At least he was alive with a demon. Now he's dead because a demon killed him. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. And he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately. A little bit confused here because they should be doing the work, right? Because they're his disciples after all. Why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we cast out this demon? And of course, we did talk about the element of the spiritual oppression, that happens a lot of times, that comes across as various illnesses or ailments. And this is one. Again, if you went to go see a doctor, they might say, well, he has autism maybe, or maybe he has um, something that would, that would lead him to have this inability to speak and yet have these seizures, okay? Whatever it may be. Here's what, what the doctors would say. And of course, we still see that today, you know? 
And of course, Jesus said to them, and his response is quite profound, this kind cannot be driven out by anything. No medicine, no surgeries, no men wisdom, no you know, diagnosis of any kind and treatment and therapies of any kind. Anything but what? But prayer. So sometimes these ailments, sometimes these illness, sometimes these things are actual spiritual. That's what we're seeing in scriptures. Do we believe the scriptures? Do we believe that they apply to today as well as they did back then? I would say yes, they do make sense. Now, this is a spiritual realm. If anything, like we talked about last week, Satan would want us to think that the spiritual realm has no effect on the physical realm. That's the lies that are being punched around universities today, that there is no non-physical realm. It's all material. It's all physics. But that's a lie from Satan. Satan would want us to not think that there's spiritual pressure, that there's not a spiritual realm, that there's not a spiritual battle before us. But as Christians, we reject that because we see the word of God, and he has spoken, and there is a spiritual reality, and there is a spiritual realm. In fact, our hope is in the spiritual realm, isn't it? Our hope is in eternal life. Our hope is in the spiritual heaven, in our souls that are spiritual, They'll be with God, shed from this body that's called by Paul, you know, terrestrial or earthly, but yet in the resurrection given a celestial or a heavenly body. But prayer, and that's what we concluded with our, you know, discussion last week. What do we do then as we wait, as a delay of healing occurs? What do we do in the meantime? We pray like Paul did. He prayed many times asking God, please take this thing away. God decided not to do that for Paul. But he may do it for us. But regardless, our faith, our great faith, should be to continue to pray, continue to turn to God. And in prayer, we're asking and we're also seeking God's will and God's guidance and God's peace in our life. Okay, next slide, please. So in the, the next part of our scripture is Matthew then. Matthew, I did change it. Yeah, my note says John, but it is Matthew. Matthew eight fourteen. Matthew eight fourteen. So the bottom line then is this. Jesus does heal. And that's what we're seeing. He's ministering, he's healing, he's touching. It's a spiritual healing sometimes. It's a physical healing sometimes. It, but he does heal, he does. He, and he wants to interact with us. He wants to heal us. He wants to correct us. And that's what we're going to see here as the story continues throughout Matthew. So Matthew eight fourteen says that when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. So what does she have? Maybe a flu. Maybe it was a pretty serious case of the flu. I don't know. But he came in, he touched her. So it's kind of interesting how he's healing these pretty tragic cases, like leprosy and muteness from birth and lameness and whatnot, and all these crazy demonic things. But he also cares about the little things as well. Oh, you have a fever? You got the flu? Ah, wait it out. Oh, he touches her. He heals her. Even little things. And she stood up. And I like her response, her, her act of gratitude. She gets up and she serves him. She serves God. And that's the other thing, you know, Again, our motive, if we're looking for great healing and great deliverance, is it for what? For our own gain? Our own, you know, comforts? Or is it so that we can serve our God better? I like her. Because she's like, heal me so I can serve you. And that's what she did. And then when evening came, many who were demon-possessed. So more ailments, more illnesses due to demon-possession were brought to him. And he drove out the spirits with a word. I bolded that in my notes because I thought that was interesting. Again, that word, the power of Christ and his word. But again, it's his lordship. It's his authority. It's his dominion. It's not ours. We come and seek him as his subjects. But we say, you are Lord. And we come to you humbly. We know you can heal with a word. Not us. We don't say the word. We don't name it and claim it. We call out to, to Jesus. And we say, Jesus, you're the Lord. 
What are we to do here? Please heal. Please, you know, hear us. And humility and respect of his authority. But it's Jesus and his authority. And he always does the will of God. So he's not going to be persuaded. But, he, but we are still to come to him. Why? Because a lot of times it's us who need the change. Maybe it's us who don't see things so clearly. But yet we go to him. We ask him and we trust that with the word he can heal. And all the various sicknesses. And this also had a better, deeper significance. Again, it's not just about these individuals feeling better and feeling a bit more comfortable. There's a deeper, greater, general significance behind what he does with the things that he does. For this, he's fulfilling very important prophetic scriptures. In the Old Testament, the Jews were waiting for their Messiah. Here is their Messiah, and here's how we know that he's the Messiah. Again, Matthew, he's writing to the Jews. So he wants to make a case for Jesus Christ. And certain boxes have to be ticked. And one of those is this, the very thing he's doing, these healings. So this was done to fulfill these prophecies, specifically found in Isaiah. He took up our infirmities, and he bore our diseases. That's interesting, because of course, when I see this, I see the cross. Because I see, I might be able to walk and talk just fine, and think pretty clearly, I guess, sometimes. Sometimes not so, but whatever. Um, So I would consider myself generally quite healthy. But yet I see the cross heals my deeper, deeper sicknesses, my deeper illnesses, and my deeper, you know, infirmities, my deeper diseases that need to be healed on the cross. And, and so there is that soulish or spiritual element as well as the physical element. And this word, asthenia, which, is the, which, is, which translates from infirmities, is an interesting word. I like this, how it was translated. I can't remember what dictionary, but I got on the Blue Letter Bible, whatever it may be. Usually they use, uh, I can't remember what dictionary it is, but it's translated like this. We're defined like this. It's a want of strength, weakness, and infirmity of the body. Uh, it's, it's native weakness and frailty, feebleness of health or sickness. So it, it speaks of the body. In the body, there's like a, a, a want or a lack of strength. It's a weakness. It, it, it's the body. It's, so it's like some, a lot of things, things that we see with the, the lame man wanting to walk but can't walk, Okay. He came to heal those things, okay? But m- even more so, or equally so, however you want to look at it, there's the healing of the soul. And I think this is something that we all probably could identify with, the healing of the soul. And I like how this is defined. Again, it's the same thing as that want of strength, or lacking of strength, and capacity requisite, so what's required, <laughs> to understand certain things. Okay? To understand. So sometimes without this healing touch from Jesus, we, things don't make sense to us. Especially spiritual things. To a, to a person that doesn't have the Holy Spirit, who aren't spiritually minded, spiritual things are completely a mystery and confusing, perplexing. But God illuminates as we walk with Him and walk with Him in trust and faith. So understanding things. To, and also to do things great and glorious. Oh, this is interesting. God can heal us Keep those things that are blocking us down and holding us down in our soul. Maybe it's depression, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's just a lack of, of confidence. Whatever it may be, it, you want to label it with folk psychology. All these things, God can break through those things and give us great, glorious confidence to do wonderful things. And it starts in this mind, the soul. You know, as God heals and spiritually 
you know, gives us this trust in him. Again, that's why I put up here, total trust. That's, it's, it's all about, it is about faith, right? Faith, total trust. I trust that Jesus can heal me and, and deliver me, and I can do great and glorious things through him and through the healing that comes of the soul is as Athenia. To restrain, you know, corrupt desires, you know, our lusts and sinfulness, we can actually have the strength to restrain these things, to bear trials and troubles. And again, in life, we're not guaranteed an easy, peasy life. Jesus' disciples, none of them had an easy, peasy life. Life is difficult. Life is hard because of the spiritual dimension that is so dark and so heavy. The spiritual battles are so heavy. And plus, in this world, there are sicknesses and illnesses and ultimately death, which is a result of sin. But how do we bear them? How do we suffer through trials? How do we suffer through troubles? And even the idea, the anxiety that comes with possible troubles and, 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 and trials, which I know plagues a lot of us, and is the root to a lot of depressions, Jesus can heal it. And I like a lot of Jesus' simple logic. Like, don't worry about things that aren't happening. <laughs> you know, worry about things that are genuinely, you know, worthy your time and effort. Things that are happening today. But if it's not happening, it's just, you're just working yourself up. So forget about it. You know? But, but we have to have this total trust in Jesus and total trust in God in order to, to practice these things, I believe, fully. Because it takes trust in what he's saying, trust in what he's doing. Next one. But before we go on and, and deal next five, ten minutes um, with, because in chapter eight we, we see um, what it, something of what it costs to be a disciple of a great Lord. And we see you know, something of, of the faith that the disciples had to have and some of the excuses that were given for not following Jesus. And the reality is there's a lot of excuses why we shouldn't or couldn't follow Jesus. And they're just simply bad excuses. But, but to become a disciple, there is a great cost. And, and part of that great cost is, is saying no to oneself and saying yes to where you want me to go. And sometimes Jesus might ask us to go somewhere a bit frightening, a bit scary. But we're going to save that for next week, okay? I want to do is I want to look at one last healing. One last healing. Uh, don't get me wrong. There's going to be a lot more healing in Matthew chapter 9. So it's going to continue on. But I want to look at one last healing because it's quite a significant one. And remember the story because actually when we get to chapter 9, we're going to actually review this a little bit just, we're going to revisit this briefly because, again, like I was saying about the contrasts, we're going to see a contrast here. Here we're going to see a, a town or a village or an area that, uh, we'll say a town because here it's translated a whole town came out. So it's a town that rejects Jesus. And we're going to see in chapter 9 right away a town that receives Jesus. And so we see the contrast right there. But here I want to look at this town and the situation because it's a healing process and, and, and how people you know, respond to this healing. And so that's why I put here, first of all, I put it's a strange healing situation because it is a bit odd one. But then underneath it, I put this question, do we prefer pigs to people? And my wife wondered, what does that even mean? Does it mean like, are we the demons and we're trying to, no, 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 no. I'm talking about the, the, the way the people, the townspeople responded. It seems to me like they had more interest in the pigs and their livestock and their property than they did with these poor fellows who were being tortured. And ultimately, they were being tortured because they couldn't pass this way because of the violence of these men. Let's read the story and think about it. It says here in verse 28, 
When he arrived, as speaking of Jesus, to the other side of, in the region of um, Gadarenos. Okay, uh, it's a tough one. I actually wrote it in Greek because I find it easier to read in Greek than English because it's a funny word. Gadarenos. What? That's not how it says in Greek, no? Gadarenos is what it is in Greek. So, Gadarenes, you can say that if you want. It's a weird one, though. But anyways, two demon-possessed men come from the tomb, and they met him. Okay, so two fellows, demon-possessed, meet Jesus on this path as he's going into town. So this must be like a common way, because this is him entering into town, right? And so imagine being a visitor, coming in town, and being greeted by these two demon-possessed fellows who are so violent that no one could pass that way. And here, as a joke, I put, looks like certain places in shots, maybe. I can see certain fellas kind of hanging about in certain main parts of town that you're like, oh, I don't want to go that way. I might get a snow kicking. Or I might. <laughs> You'll never outlive that one, Robert. You know, whatever. It's just, oh, great. They're going to mock me. They're going to, they're going to say things. Or so violent that they might actually start beating you up or giving you a snow kicking. So what are you to do? Okay. So then um, these men are here. You know, I, I believe it's a common main path into town because they're, they're taking this path into town. So this must be a real inconvenience for the town people. Oh, don't want to take that way. Visitors coming in, embarrassed because of the reputation they have of these violent people who are chasing people away from town, maybe out of fixed business. So ultimately, it's not a good situation for anybody. So I think it would be wise for God to do something for Jesus to step in and heal, right? So, um, but these, these, these demons are speaking to, to, to Jesus uh, through these people, I imagine. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? So what is he to do with, with these demons, you know? Um, you know, he, he can't, or maybe he can, but it appears here that there's some kind of a, a, a time issue where their judgment time hasn't come yet. So they're yet free to, to roam, it appears. So Jesus says, okay, I'm not going to eliminate you, annihilate you, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to move you away from these poor fellows. So where am I going to move you to? What's Jesus to do? Well, at some distance from there, there's a large herd of pigs, and they're feeding. And the demons begged to Jesus, if you drive us out, then send us into the herd of pigs. No, Jesus, not the pigs. Anything with the pigs. I mean, just keep the demons and the people made because, hey, you know, who cares? They're a little bit of inconvenience to us, but don't touch the pigs. That's our yummy bacon right there. Well, Jesus said this, go. So they came out, went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. There goes our yummy bacon. Nay luck. So those tending the pigs, responsible for the care of the pigs, they, they ran off, went into town, and reported all of this, including what happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus and said, Amazing Jesus, you healed those two guys. Praise the Lord. No. And when they saw him, they pleaded, please leave. Just go. You messed up our commerce. And the reason why I put that there, I thought it was an interesting story. I don't know if you've ever seen it in that quiet slant before. Is like, where are these people's hearts at? There's the spiritual, we see here in the story, spiritual intimidation, first of all. We see your spiritual oppression. Right? And, and, and again, look how these, these town folk reacted to this act of kindness. We'll see the same situation later on with the Pharisees. Jesus does an act of kindness to help a soul, to help a man, to help a person. And people are, are upset about it. They're frustrated because it affects them. 
in their commerce, their business, their way of life. Did they really care about the well-being of these men who were possessed and frankly probably causing them an embarrassment to their town because visitors would come have to deal with it? They had to deal with it if they were to come and they had to maybe take an alternative route all the time so they won't get beat up by these violent guys. You know? These are the kind of people, who, in my mind, who would, who would, you know, like things left the way they are. Come on, let's leave well enough alone, you know? Yeah, it's a bit of an inconvenience, a bit of a trouble for them and for us, but let's leave well enough alone. So they said, Jesus, go. And to that I say, ouch. Next and last slide, please. And we'll conclude with this slide. Which is worse off then? Which is worse off? A ghost town? A town with no bodies? Or a town that has rejected Jesus? A town with no spirit? I don't know. I guess we can all answer that differently. But here we saw a town that rejected Jesus, a spiritually dead town, not interested in the touch of Jesus Christ. Because they kind of, they're a bit of a traditional town, would say. They like how things were going for them. They don't want things messed with. Jesus came, he came to heal, and they were, he was told to go away. And that's really sad. And for that, we should probably be praying for our villages, our towns, our homes. Praying for our communities. And yes, I did put that on the bottom, Danny, in case she was wondering if that was, we've been to that place. That's Bodhi. It's in the Sierra Desert, not too far from Mammoth. And uh, a nice little ghost town. But, but the reality is we, we do, again, we, did we not hear about pray? And wasn't that what Jesus said to, that, to the disciples about the demon-possessed boy? How are we heal this, this, this situation? How we ought to heal these people? How we ought to interact with this, the, the problem? It's through prayer, a lots of prayer. And so should we not be praying then for our towns and for our community? We, we, this church is located in, 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 the, in the area of the town of Schatz. So we need to be interested and compassionate to the town of Schatz. And we need to be praying for the town of Schatz. And I know a lot of us come in from various areas. And we should probably be praying for those areas as well. But as a church, you know, we start here. We pray for this area. And, of course, hopefully a little bit like contagious like fire as Jesus comes in. But there's a lot of people. A lot of people in this town who are a lot like those people that we saw in that story there who just say, nah, nah, Jesus. And they might call themselves Christians. They might think that being a Christian is a right-on thing, but they say, nah, to Jesus all the time. Jesus says, well, are you going to follow me? Are you going to be my disciple? Are you going to give your life to me so that you can have full, total healing and a full, total, complete life? Nah, Jesus, that's cool. Things aren't great. I'm miserable. I'm depressed. I'm addicted to substances, but I'm cool with that. Let's leave things well enough alone. Isn't that sad? I think that's a problem that we're seeing here from a, for a big part of what's going on in this local area. And I think we need to confront that. And how do we confront that? How do we fight that? We don't go out and slap people on the back of the head. I've tried that. It doesn't work. People get mad at you. We need to pray for people. We need to pray, pray, pray. So let's do that, actually. Let's just, the next five minutes, ten minutes, let's just bow our heads and pray for our community.